you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. How many of you know that the Lord shows up where he's desired? Where he's wanted? You say, what does that mean? It means he doesn't show up everywhere. I sometimes think we can take these things for granted. Which I guess it should be normal. And I'm about to tell you, that's my prayer, church, that we, that his church actually falls back in love with him again, that gets hungry for him once again. Hmm. Gets hungry for his cross once again. Gets infatuated with the blood once again. Amen. Amen. And I believe the Lord's going to kind of drift us into, into a wee teaching here on, on the cross. I think that's kind of where he's been setting us up for the last several weeks or several, you know, maybe month or so. And, uh, you know, I don't believe it's going to be anything in depth. I, I mean, I have really no idea where the Lord's going to lead us on it, but, but we're just going to follow the leading of Holy Spirit. But, but I think the church, we as the body of Christ, we got to come back to the place of understanding what actually the cross is. Amen. And what, what it's done for us as disciples. Amen. We're not just clueless that it's not just something we put up here, you know, in the church. I mean, this is, this is why I went down to Dundalk, you know, what was it a couple months ago when the Lord started speaking to me on these things. And I, you know, I just, I started getting such a passionate urging on the inside of me to, to, to bring a cross and put it, put it in the church. Why? Because it's, it's what's representative of Jesus. I mean, it blows me away how we've gotten so modern in the church nowadays. Most people can walk in and wouldn't even know it's a church because there's no crosses. There's, no, there's, there's nothing that symbolizes him. I mean, that's one of those th- beautiful things about the old, the, the old churches that have been built in this. Listen, you know exactly what they are when you walk in. Amen. From the stained glass to the crosses to everything else they have. Why? Because it preaches. It preaches. And even though we've gotten modern in maybe the way we worship and, and do music and modern and, and have great, great revelation maybe on certain things nowadays, listen, we can never get, we can never get past the basics. We can never get past the basics and in, 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 in knowing what the cross has done for us because I think the Lord is beginning to stir something on me. And if he's starting on me, I believe he's going to start in the church that we begin to have a passion once again, a love, a love and infatuation with the cross. Amen. A love and infatuation with the cross. And when I say that, I'm not talking from a, a religious traditional posture. Amen. That we, that we come up and we cross or we, or we do whatever. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not talking about those kind of things. I'm, I'm talking about having an infatuation to where we further seek after him when we come to the realization of what's actually been done. That, our, that the posture of our hearts will begin to seek further after him from a revelation of what that cross actually is. Because how I many of you know we're not designed to just have an encounter or meet Jesus and then never seek after him again? Amen? I mean, you'd think that looking at the church most of the time nowadays, you know, we'll come, people come up and say the prayer, they come up to come an amazing meeting, whatever that may be, and they encounter the things of God, and then they, they stop seeking after him. I mean, we're not called to stop seeking after him. Listen, we, we, have, we have got an encounter for a specific purpose. It is designed to, to provoke a love encounter. 
amen, for, for the believer, the love encounter for the seeker do we have, for maybe for a lack of a better word, we, we have a sense of addiction, Amen, that we come to the place to find out that we can't do life without him, but it's not just life, that we come to the place that we can't do any minute of the day without him, that we get infatuated with the king, infatuated with him. Now, I know when we, when, when, when we, when we speak this language, it can be, you know, about intimate love affair with the king. It can be, it can be quite a foreign language into the church. But, but I'm telling you, church, Jesus, he is doing his best to invite his bride into this place where we come into the depths of union with him that we never deemed possible, that we never thought was possible. Amen. And he's bringing us the invitation. He's trying to provoke us. He's trying to woo us into these places. You say, well, how does the church get there? Well, we got to get back to the basics. We got to get back to the basics of actually knowing who he is and understanding his desires, not just knowing him, but, but understanding what he desires. Amen. Maybe we ought to get back to the uh, kind of like a, a, a proper first date type mentality. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you, when you, when you go out on a first date, what, what do you do? What do you do? You're sitting there chatting with one another. You're, you're spending time with one another. You're, you, you, you get to be where you can't be separated from them if it's a one that you fall in love with. Why? Because you can't, you just, all you want to do is know more information about that person. Why? Because you're falling for them. I mean, this is the way it was with my wife. When, when, we, first met, when we first got together, we first started dating. Listen, we were inseparable, I mean, we're either talking on the phone nonstop in the evening or we were traveling to one another's house. Why? We lived about an hour away from each other, but it didn't stop us from seeing each other almost every single day. You say, why is that? Because we wanted to know about one another. I wanted to know what her heart was. I wanted to know what her desires were. So we made it a point. We were specific. We were intentional about, about trying to seek after that from one another. Amen. But see, it's kind of like in the church nowadays, we've kind of followed after the, the culture of the world and their, and their mentality to where we don't, we don't seek after the information or the desires. We just skip past the, the wooing stage of the first date and we try to just step right into the climax of the bedchamber. Amen, I'm telling you, that's detrimental to our relationship with him. It makes us seek after the things that he has instead of him. Amen, instead of seeking after and knowing the heart of Jesus, what do we do? We, we say, we skip on past all that. And we say, man, I just want his power. I just want his prosperity. You know, I just want his anointing. I just want, I just want the authority that he has. Those are the things I want. Listen, church, me as, as, as a baby Christian, that's exactly what I stepped into when I started getting around some of the charismatic stuff. I saw some amazing things. I saw healings. I saw power. I saw devils getting cast out. Listen, I said, I want that. But there is a, a wooing we got we to gotta submit ourselves unto. Why? Because you will never operate in the fullness of who Jesus is and your union with Jesus. Amen. Until you come to the place of knowing who he is. Until you become intimate with his heart and so intimate with his heart that you're more sensitive to his desires than even your own. 
that's when he begins to flow through you in a greater capacity of that listen church that we never deemed possible. It becomes normal. It becomes normal for us. Now listen, church, if we can just press on towards these things, listen, it will help guard our hearts. If we'll begin to seek after him, we'll help guard our hearts. You say, guard our hearts from what? And guard our hearts. If we come to the place of knowing him, it'll guard our hearts from the place of trying Christianity. Trying power, trying healing, trying, you know, being delivered from the curse, trying the baptism of the Holy Spirit, trying the gifts. We'll stop trying those things and say, you know what? You know, it didn't work for me. Maybe God doesn't do these things anymore. Maybe he just only does them to specific people. He'll guard your heart from that nonsense when you get to know his true heart and what he has for us, amen? I'm telling you, he wants to know you. He wants you to know him. But we got we to become seekers of it. So what, so what is it, church? What is it, church, that we know about the cross? You know, it can be a very vague thing, <laughs> Well, what is it that we actually know about the cross? I mean, it, you know, it seems like the cross is a much forgotten theme of, 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 the, of salvation in the church. But in reality, it's the core of our salvation. I mean, it, it is the absolute core of our salvation. It's the core of our salvation for the ones that, you know, through Jesus who has purchased, who has purchased mankind. Amen. But, it, but it's also the core, it should be at the core of the lifestyle of every disciple. Every disciple of him. Now you say, what, what, what does that mean that, that the cross, through the cross, that he has purchased all of mankind? Well, that can be a, a very contrary thing that we can talk about. But listen, okay, let, let's, 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 let's move over there for a second. What does it mean that, that Jesus, that Jesus has, has actually purchased all of mankind? What, what does that mean? What, what, what do I mean when I say that? I say that, that salvation has been imputed upon the world through the finished work of Jesus. It's imparted unto the believer, but it's imputed it's imputed under the world. See many, see, many of us, we can get confused on these things because we, we don't know if we believe in imputation or not. We don't know if we believe in the doctrine of imputation. But I'm here to tell you, you do. You do. Amen. We do because we've, we've been taught about these things, you know, from the, from the beginning. But listen, church, there's a fundamental theological difference that we, that we, need, to, we need to grab a hold of. Amen. Because we actually believe in, in, in imputation. What, what is it? What do we believe about Adam? Amen. Adam, the, the, the first Adam. Amen. The one that, that sinned in the garden and, and through that sin, what, what happened? We believe in imputation. We believe that through his sin, death and sin or sin and death, was, was placed upon all mankind. Hmm? This doctrine of imputation. What, what does that actually mean? It's the, it's the act of one that gets accredited to, to everyone. The act of one that can be to a credit to all. And this is exactly what Adam did. Through his rebellion against the things of God, through that sin, and death was opened up to, to all of mankind. And remember how many of you know that, that through the death, through the death of the spotless lamb, through the death of the second Adam, 
the second Adam. How many of y'all know that righteousness unto life was imparted unto all men? Hmm? Righteousness unto life was imparted to all men, was imputed unto all men, imparted to them that believe. Thank you, Lord. It was imputed to all men, but imparted to them that believe. But just like, how do you say that there, Lord? Just like how death, sin and death was imparted, imputed. Just how sin and death was imputed into, into all mankind. How many know that all men did not partake of it? It wasn't imputed into all people. It wasn't imparted. It was imputed, but it wasn't imparted into all people. I'm getting my words confused here. You say, what does that mean? Well, look, look at the life of the people in the scriptures. You know, look at, look, at, look at Abraham. You know, Abraham, it says that righteousness was accredited to him through his faith. Right? It was credited to him by faith. So he didn't, he didn't receive the death of separation from the things of God. Look at Moses. I mean, Moses was a man that, that went up on Mount Sinai, spent 40 days and 40 nights with him. He, he was glowing in the glory of God, just like Jesus. Hmm? Does it sound like he was separated from him? What about King David? Says a man, God said he was a man after my own heart. What about, what about, what about Elijah? You know, he just, he didn't even die. He just, he just strapped himself into a fiery chariot and, and made his way up into heaven. What about my favorite? What about Enoch? What about Enoch where it says here in Genesis chapter 5, 5 verse 20, 24, that says that he was, that he walked with God and then he was not. Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. For God took him. Now, see, we, we, we read over that verse. And we're like, oh, yeah, 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 he must have died. He must have done this. He must have done that. You know, you know God took him. You know, yeah, we, we got to understand the scriptures, church. This is bridal language here. You know, the Lord's actually speaking, speaking of Enoch. And he says, he was so in union with me here on this earth and the fallen world where, where death was imputed into all men. He was so in union with me. He walked with me, and then he, and then he wasn't anymore. Why? Because God took him. It wasn't that God just snatched him up out of the earth. No, it's that, that language, that's bridal language. It's, he's talking about like it, it, more references in the Hebrew, like, like, a, like a man taking his wife, taking his bride on a wedding night. He's saying he wasn't, why? Because God was so infatuated, so in love with Enoch, because they were so close with one another. He pulled him to himself, said, I can't, I'm not going to wait 2,000 years. I'm not going to wait 4,000 years to marry you. I'm taking you right now. I'm taking you right now. He didn't, he didn't submit himself unto death. Hmm? Just like, just like, just like Elijah, he wasn't submitted unto death. Well, it's the same thing with the Christ. Amen. Through, through his death, burial, and resurrection, his, his righteousness unto life is imputed upon, upon mankind. Amen. But it's only, it's only imparted unto the believer, only the ones that, that believe, only ones that, that receive what he has. Amen. Well, let, me, let me just prove that out for you. Go with me to Romans chapter 5. 
We'll get back into the cross here in a second. Let's go here to Romans chapter 5, and I'm just going to read through these, because listen, these pretty well teach themselves here. But Romans chapter 5, let's start here in verse 12. It says, wherefore, as one man, talking about Adam, it says, one man's sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men. It was imputed, it was credited, it went upon all men for all have sinned. He goes, for unto the day, uh, for, unto, uh, for unto the law, sin was, excuse me, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. It's not accredited to man when there is no law. He goes, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam unto Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, meaning although they didn't, they didn't rebel like Adam did, it wasn't of, of the great rebellion that Adam did, it says that, uh, that, that death was still uh, reigned from, from Adam unto Moses. It says, who is, and this is a beautiful thing here, it says, who is the figure of him that was to come? Who's that talking about? It says, Adam is the figure of him who is to come. That's why they call him the first Adam, and Jesus is the last Adam. Adam was the figure, how, his, how the death and sin of him was imputed all to all mankind, so would the righteousness to life of Jesus Christ. He says, but not as under the fence, or it can't be compared with the offense. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead. Much more the grace of God and the gift by that grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And as not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For judgment was come by one to condemnation, but the free gift to many offenses unto justification. I'm telling you, these are powerful verses here, church. He says, for if one man's offense, death reigned. I think it's a, I think it's a passion translation. It says, for if one man's offense, death reigned as a king by one, much more, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign as a king in life by one Jesus Christ. It says, therefore, because of that, therefore, by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many became righteous. Many became righteous. That's absolutely powerful. That ought to bring clarification there to, to 2 Corinthians you know, five, chapter 5, verse 19, where it says that, that he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And if you go back to, to, to verse 17 there, it's if any man be in Christ, if we can be in union with him, this is how you become a new creation. Why? Because he's already imputed. This is how we can get saved right now when something that's been done 2,000 years ago because it's, it's already taken place. We just got to believe in what's taken place so that we can receive it. Amen, so that we can receive what he's done for us. You say, what does that mean? That means if you're in Adam, if you're in the first Adam, 
This means you're yoked up to sin and death. It means you're yoked up to sin and death. Right, but if you're in Christ, you say, what does that mean? If you're in Christ, that means you're yoked up to life and righteousness. Hmm? Why? Because he's the one that came to conquer the one that had power over death. You say, what was his name? His name was Satan. His name was Satan. So what is this dividing line? What is the dividing line? What's the dividing line? What's the, what's the stake? What, what, what is the dividing line that gets cut in the middle to where, you know, there is a, there is a, a covenant Amen. That, that as we, as, as people walked in it, you couldn't even come into the Holy of Holies. There's only one man, one man that could come into the Holies of Holies. Now I know that was a picture of Jesus and what, and what he was going to do. But the fact remains that that only one person, the high priest himself could come in to the Holies of Holies. And that was it. And he had to come in in the appropriate way or death would come upon him. Now, how is the dividing line? Where is the dividing line to a man, to where a man could not come into the presence of God to where now we have become the Holy of Holies. We've become the housing of Holy Spirit of the Shekinah glory. You know, where, where is that dividing line? It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. It's, it's, it's the cross, church. It is the cross. Now, now, as I say that, listen, I'm reminded of a, of a, of a quote by, by A.W. Tozer here. And A.W. Tozer would say that salvation, many, many in the church, we think that salvation is, is birthed by, by the perfection of Jesus, him being the spotless lamb, which is true. But then we have other churches that will stand only on, on the cross. And it's at the cross, it's the cross, it's the cross. And then you can get to some of the Pentecostal churches and you know, charismatic churches, and it's all about the resurrection. It's all about the resurrection. It's all about the resurrection. But the reality is it's about all three. Amen. It's about the perfect walk, the sinless man that was on this earth. It was about the cross, about him giving up his life and pouring out his blood. And then it's also about the resurrection. Amen. It's about, it's about all three, and we got to grab a hold of all three. So listen, as I begin to teach on these things, and you know, as we look through the, the, the lens of the cross, listen, when we start teaching on the cross and stuff, listen, I'm not here, and my aim, the Holy Spirit's aim, is not to, to belittle or downgrade, amen, the resurrection, or downgrade the perfection of Jesus here on this earth. Amen. But it's to exalt, it's to exalt the cross back in the lives of the church. I mean, and back in, back in our lives, back to the place that where it belongs, where it gets honor and respect. Amen. Because I'm telling you, we can't, we can't, we can't, we can't forget about the cross. We can't forget about it. So the church can actually get back to the place where we become disciples of Jesus once again. Because you can't be a disciple of Jesus without the cross. Hmm? Do we actually become disciples of him again where he, where he sat there and looked at his disciples and he said, listen, you want to follow me, boys and girls? We've been talking about this for, what, a month, month and a half now. You want to follow me? You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross daily. And then, and then follow me. Then continuously follow me. 
See, not only is the cross, not only is the cross at the core of our salvation in which Jesus has purchased for all of mankind, amen, but it's at the core of any disciple that's made the decision, amen, to follow Jesus. Hmm? It's at the core of any decision of any disciple that's made that decision to follow Jesus. Jesus says we must deny ourselves. You say, what, is, what does that mean? And I'm telling you, it's like I can't, I don't know what it is about these verses, but I cannot get them out of my mind. They keep meditating, rolling over and over and over in Matthew chapter 18 and, and Luke chapter 9. You know, what does, it, what does it mean to deny ourselves? It means to lay down your life, lay down all your goals. Lay down now all your ambitions, all your aspirations. Lay down, lay down your desires. Lay down everything you have. Why? Because if you don't lay those things down, you'll never be able to pick up his. You can never pick up his desires. You'll never pick up his goals. You'll never pick up his ambitions if we don't learn to come to the place of laying these things down. I know when I, I know when I speak like this, I, you know, I've had people ask me questions and like, it's like, when you, when you talk like this, you got to lay everything down. Does that, does that mean that, that I can't work the job I'm doing? Does that mean that I can't, you know, have the business that I have? Does that mean that I can't play sports? Does that mean I can't have a hobby? Does that mean I got to quit everything and just do the ministry? No, that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is you got to give up your desires. You got to give up your wants. Amen, and lay him down so you can pick up his. See, I mean, listen, church, y'all, y'all knew, most of you know, I was a businessman before, before I was even saved. Amen, I had great, I had great ambitions, but I didn't just step out of business, amen, when I got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's not, that's not what, what the Lord did. Amen. But I had ambitions. I had, I had ambitions to do great things. I had ambitions to be the, the biggest boy on the block, the biggest, most powerful company, have influence in, in what we were doing. And I'm telling you, I set off just to do that. Amen. I set off to do just that, and we started off with nothing. We became an international firm. Amen. With, with great regional power. Amen. A force to be reckoned with. Listen, church, I had a name, I had a reputation. I had money and I had influence. Huh? Money and influence. And God poured out his blessings upon that. But I'm going to tell you something, church. That wasn't the fullness of his desires in my life. That isn't exactly what he had for my life. That wasn't the goal that he had for me. It was my goal. And he even blessed it. And in that, he began to prepare me. Prepare me to, to be an actual proper leader. Amen. Prepare me to the place where I can make hard decisions and live with the consequences of it. Make hard decisions and not just be, you know, something that's going to affect my family that, that affects many families that are, that are working with me. And be responsible for those things. Learn to not think about just myself, but think about the people that are around me. I'm telling you, he began to tweak he began to tweak and refine my leadership style. Why? So he could begin to trust me with God's people. So he began to trust me with God's people. And I'm telling you, I look back sometimes at those days. I, I look back and it absolutely surprises me. 
how easy it was for me to give up, to give up that dream of mine. It happened through a prayer, a text message, and a 15-minute conversation. And that dream of mine was gone like that. And it blows me away because I'm telling you, before, before I got saved, or even as, as a baby Christian, listen, church, if I, yeah, I don't care if I didn't have a reputation. I don't care if I had money. I don't care if I had influence. If I didn't have any of that stuff, I never would have given that up. I never would have gave that company up. Amen. So, so what happens? How, how do we get to that place? How, how do I get to the place where, where just from one player, one request from the Lord, saying, I want you to do this. I want you to, to, to give that away. I want you to get out of that. How do you get to that place? I became a disciple. I became a disciple where my desires were put at his feet. Amen. And I began to pick up his desires. Denied my own personal goals. Amen. Own personal aspirations and ambitions. And began to receive the heart of Jesus. I'm telling you, he's still working on those things. Amen. But this is what a disciple looks like doesn't matter how much you fell in love with this or that or the other. Listen, we always put those things aside and we allow him to do what he desires to do in our lives. Amen. So how, so the question is, how, how is it, how is it that we can begin to deny ourselves even when success comes? Because I'm telling you, that's a struggle in the church. How can we deny ourselves when success comes in our life. Listen, I'm telling you, church, I've seen ministers, I've seen ministries that get involved in business and do all kinds of different things, mix them together and end up having failure. Why? Because they, they have a lust and they have a desire for money. They have a desire for popularity and all these different things. I mean, I'm telling you, church, I've seen it. I've seen it. I've seen Christians take jobs. I've seen them take promotions. I've seen them move to a different city just because they can get an advancement or a raise. And what happens? The fire that was raging on the inside of them begins to fizzle out. Why? Because the Holy Spirit never asked them to do it. Holy Spirit never asked them to do it. It was their carnal thirst for success is why they did it. Amen. So, so how, how? Do we deny ourselves? Well, church, we got to come back to the place of understanding what success is. And remember, what, what does success look like in the church environment? Is it the amount of chairs you have filled in here? Hmm? Is it how much money we, we come in? How much money we give into missions? How many church plants we get? What, what does success look in the church? It's simple. Does Jesus show up in the church? Does Holy Spirit come into the church? Does he come and rest and commune with the church. That, that's what success looks like. Listen, if you have that, listen, people end up coming. Amen, but that, that has to be the focus of all things. What does success look in our own lives? It's the same way, church. It's not money. Hmm? It's not money. It's not influence. It's not carnal possessions. What does success in our look, life look like? It's intimacy with Jesus. To where, do you have ears to hear what Spirit of the Lord is having to you say? Are you doing what the Spirit of the Lord is asking you to do? Are you finishing what he's asked you to do? Are we, are we finishers? Are we going to finish well? Are we going to finish our race? This is success in our own personal lives, church. It's not all the carnal things that we get our eyes focused on. That stuff is a distraction. And it's, dang, it's dangerous for us. It's dangerous for the church. 
So how do, so how do we how do we continue to deny ourselves when, when natural success comes up unto us? We gotta learn to take up our cross daily. We gotta learn to, to take up our cross daily and follow him, as Luke 9 would say. Take up our cross daily. Be intentional. Take up that cross daily and follow him. Now, although I know we're not bearing Jesus' cross. Amen. And many times we may not even understand what it means to bear our own cross, but just like with anything else, if you don't understand what the scriptures or what Jesus is saying, go to him for the answer. <laughs> Amen. Go, go to the word of God for the answer. Hmm? Why? Because he's the one that can answer it. That way we don't get so confused about, about the things that's going on. So, so initially, church, let's, I guess you could say, as a, as a wee intro that we're going to do here, what, what, does, what does the cross represent to us? What does the cross represent to you? I mean, it's the most well-known symbol in the world. What, what, what does it represent? Because see, sometimes in the church, we look, you know, man, if Jesus is on it, it means this. If Jesus is not on it, you know, it means this. Listen, church, to the world, it doesn't mean a denomination. It doesn't mean anything about a denomination. Amen. When the world, when the world sees the cross, they see, they see those are disciples, those are followers of Jesus. Amen. When, when the world sees a cross, you know, they, they, they're, not, they're not thinking it's anything but disciples of Jesus. Listen, when Muslims see the cross... You know, they're not saying, oh, that's a Catholic right there. That is a Pentecostal over there. That is a Baptist. That's a Presbyterian. They're not saying that. They say, oh, that's a disciple of Jesus right there. I'll take that even one step further. When Satan sees the cross, he doesn't say, that's a Catholic right there. That's a Presbyterian over there. That's a Pentecostal. No, no, no. Yeah, it's a Baptist. He's not, he's not saying that either. He says, you know what? That is, that is a disciple of Jesus. That's a disciple of Jesus. That's, that's, that's what it represents to the world. Hmm? That's what it represents to the world. And I'm telling you, church, we do, a great, we do a great disservice to one another when we begin to hate one another just because we have a different revelation or a greater revelation or an inferior revelation to another denomination. We do the, we do the world a disservice. Amen. We do, we do the world a disservice on that. You say, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to follow everything that's out there? No, absolutely not. We don't follow dead works. We don't follow, you know, false doctrines. We're not saying those things. I'm telling you, if we allow separation to come into the world, listen, we're doing Satan's job for him. Why? Because he knows, he knows that Jesus said any kingdom divided against itself, it's going to fall. So what do we do when we're hating on our brothers and sisters? Whew. We're bringing forth the vision for him. Amen. So let's get back to the basics. What, 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 what does the cross actually mean? What is it? You know, many of us in the West, we wear, we wear crosses, don't we? You know, we wear crosses. We wear, we wear necklaces. We wear earrings. We, 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 wear, we wear crosses. But I think the fact of the matter is if we actually understood what the cross is, many people probably wouldn't be wearing it. Or at least the ones that were wearing it, their lifestyles would look completely different. They'd look completely different. Listen, church, I wore a cross around my neck, not my neck long before I was married to Jesus. 
long before I came into a union with him. I, I were, why? Because, you know, I was from Texas, man. We're Christians. We, this is how we grew up. Listen, you wear that up. Listen, I, I, it was more like a relic around my neck. Amen. It's like, maybe if I wear this, man, it's, it's my confession. And maybe, maybe that means I'm a Christian. Hmm? It doesn't make you a Christian because you wear a cross around your neck. It may make you a target, but it doesn't make you a Christian. Huh? It's like many of us wear these things around our, our necks as a fashion statement. We wear a cross, we'll put it on a t-shirt, we'll put it on a jumper, and we use it as a, as a fashion statement. You know, when, when Kimberly and I were, when we went to China, I mean, it, it blew it blew me away. You could you could walk around and look at shops, and you could you know you could look at people, and a lot of people wore these T-shirts that had English words on them. And the crazy thing is, they had no clue what those what that English word that was on 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 their shirt. I mean, it definitely got lost in the translation. You know, it's kind of like the stupidity of people when they get tattoos of of some Hebrew word or some Chinese word on them, and they have no clue. They're t- they're trusting a tattoo artist. Amen. To say this is what that means. Amen. And they walk around with something foolish tattooed permanently on their body. I mean, these Chinese people they're the same way. They you know you see them walking around the street streets and you see you know uh, jumpers and shirts in the in the in the in the shopping centers and it say pervert on it you know you see people walking around and they, they thought they're so cool they got that they got that you know english word on them and and it says pervert i mean com- com- have no clue what that word means and having them in these high-end shops hmm? wearing something because it was just a, a fashion statement but having no clue what it is yeah, it's kind of like people in the West, right? You know, and I've seen this with even Christians. I don't know what the deal is. How we, have we allow these female Buddhas all over the place now, all in our shopping centers, all in people's houses, all in people's gardens. And when they're like, oh man, I'm so cultured. Amen. I have this idol in my house. I have this idol in my garden. I'm telling you, I, I hope none of you have any of those things in here. I'm looking around. I'm, I'm sure none of you would in here. But I'm telling you, these things are it's so ignorant. We're doing things they have no clue about. You're actually inviting a demon, inviting devils into your own house. I mean, when Kimberly and I go, when we're looking for houses, because we've, you know, we've moved quite a bit even since we moved over here, it has amazed me the amount of houses we can walk into, and they have these Buddhas on the inside of it. And I'm telling you, you can instantly sense the presence of darkness when you come in. You can instantly sense it. Why? Because it's an invitation for them to come in. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. I mean, these things are insane. We better know what we're doing. We better know what we're inviting in our house. We better know... What we're worshiping. Hmm? Who's that brother Hagen? You know, he was in he was in Utah, in Salt Lake City. And Salt Lake City, Utah is the Mecca. It is the it is the the pinpoint spot. It is the headquarters for the Mormon religion. Right, and so so he went. He said, "You know what? I'm you know he was up there ministering, doing some different things." He said, "You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go check out. I'm gonna go check out. You know the the temple they have there. I'm gonna go check out the Mormon temple because they had this you know this big statue. I don't know if it was the if it was of the angel Moroni or or maybe should I say the fallen angel Moroni 
or if it was the one they have of Jesus sitting out there trying to, you know, make, make play that they're all Christians, right? And he, he says he went up there and he was looking, he was admiring, looking at this, this big statue that was there, this big this thing that was created. And he was sitting there looking at it, and all of a sudden the devil jumped on his son. You know, Pastor Hagen, even as a wee boy, you know, a devil, a devil jumped on him. And, he, and so he had to cast the devil off of his son. And then he started talking to him. He's like, what, what in the world? What just took place here? And the Lord's like, what do you expect? What do you expect when you go play with darkness, when you get in awe or enamored with, with, with things that, that are of cults and of darkness? What, what do you expect is going to happen? Hmm? We need to be careful what we invite into our house. We need to be, we need to be careful what catches our attention. I mean, because I'm telling you, darkness is real, church. Darkness is real. We need to be careful. We need to be mindful of what the things that we're doing. You know, I went to Saudi Arabia. I went to Saudi Arabia when I, I think it was my, my second to my last year, the summer to my last year in university. And I can remember we had to have meetings educational meetings before we went over there so you know what to do, what not to do, what to bring with you and what not to bring you and bring with you when you come into this nation. Why? Because this nation was very strict. Very strict. You're not allowed to bring, you know, any any Christian paraphernalia. No crosses. Yeah, I wasn't I wasn't saved then, but but I did wear a cross, and that cross came off. Why? Because it wasn't permitted into the nation. No Bibles are permitted into the nation. They'll go through your stuff, and they will put you in jail, or they'll and throw the stuff in the bin. No drugs and alcohol are permitted. You know, I remember coming on the on the on the uh, on the plane coming into the nation. I don't know if they still do these things, but they had they had those little cards, you know, like a landing card that you have to fill out. And on that landing card, it said no pornography, and no Bibles, no crosses, no drugs or alcohol. It's punishable by death. I'm telling you, church, when they say punishable by death, now that's a nation that means it. I mean, there's little to no crime in Saudi Arabia. You say, why is that? Because if you get caught stealing, every other Friday they have a meeting and they draw all the prisoners into, into, the, into the, the town square. And if you got caught stealing, they cut off your hand. You bring drugs into that nation, they cut your head off right in front of everyone. Now, obviously it minimizes the, the amount of crime that was going on in the nation. Amen. Through their power and control. But I'm telling you, why, why is it? Have you ever thought about this? Why does China not allow the word of God into their, why do you have to smuggle Bibles into China? Why do you have to smuggle Bibles into Saudi Arabia, which is the, which is the, you know, has Mecca and Medina, the, the headquarters of, you could say, of the, of the Muslim religion? You know, why, why do you have to smuggle Bibles? Why do you have to do these things? Why, do you, why would you have to smuggle a cross then? Why? Because they understand the power of it. They understand the power of this, understand the authority of it. If they permit those things in, they know it alone is the only thing that can bring freedom unto a people that are in bondage. So what they say, no, you can't let that in. So what happens? You got to smuggle it in, risk your life, risk your life, risk prison. I mean, to bring these things in. Why? Because the world knows the power of it. I mean, good Lord, the church ought to come back to the place of understanding what the power the power that's in the word of God. I mean, we live in the West where you can freely go to church and look at the empty seats around this place. Yet, you go to China, you can't do this. 
You go to Saudi Arabia, you can't do this. And we have the freedom of it. They recognize the power more than even the Western church does. I'm telling you, church, that, that is mental. That is a mental. I mean, these places ought to be so full yet to have services every single day to be, be able to make sure that everyone in the city can, can, can get into the presence of God once a week. Hmm? But we got in a place where you know, we're, not, we're not worshiping the things of God anymore. We're worshiping ourselves, aren't we? So what? Let me get back here. What, so what is, the, what is the cross? What is the cross of Christ? What does it represent? Because it's representative in the Old Testament and the New Testament, which we'll get into. But, but what, what does it? What does it represent? So listen, church, the, the cross, it doesn't represent a fashion statement. It's definitely not a relic. And it's definitely not something to worship. Hmm? It's definitely not something to worship. You say, what does that mean? We, we, worship, we worship Abba. We worship the Father. We worship the Son. We worship Jesus and we worship Holy Spirit. We don't, we don't worship a cross. Amen. We, wor- we worship him. So what, what is a cross? Simply put, it's, it means sacrifice. Right? What does the cross represent? It represents sacrifice. It reveals the sacrificial nature of our God. A God who so values sacrifice that he initiated a sacrifice to purchase the world, to impute righteousness and life into the world. The most beautiful of sacrifices to where our bridegroom Jesus himself. Jesus himself came to give his life for a harlot bride. It represents sacrifice. Why? So that we may be cleansed. We may be sanctified by the washing of the water of the word. That we might be presented glorious without spot or wrinkle. Holy and without a blemish. Church, the cross represents the greatest love story of redemption that's ever been told, that's ever been portrayed, that's ever taken place. So listen, church, as as we exit out of here today, I think I'm going to end with that. As we exit out of here today, listen, church, it it is my prayer that the Lord begins to reveal unto us as we seek after these things his desires, his heart. Not of the cross, but what he did through the cross. Amen. So he postures up to a place where we we actually fall in a deeper level of love, I guess you could say, with him than, than we ever thought possible. Amen. May we become so intimate with him and his heart that we decide to take another first date with him to get to know, know a little bit more about him, to seek after him, to seek after his desires, seek after his, his wants, actually fall deeper in love with the bridegroom than ever before. Amen? Amen. Thank God for the cross. We say thank God for the cross. We thank you, Jesus, for the cross. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your, your, your willingness to come here to this earth. We thank you, Lord, for your perfected walk here on this earth. We thank you, Lord, for the resurrection. But, Lord, we also thank you for the cross. Lord, begin to teach us what, what sacrifice looks like. Begin to teach us the sacrificial nature of you. Lord, so that we can be, we can become people of sacrifice ourselves. Lord, that we can actually give up of ourselves, Lord, so we can take on the missions. We can take on the, the love walk, Lord. We can, we can take on the marriage that you prepared for each and every one of us, Lord. We, we thank you for it, Lord. We, we love you, Lord. We glorify you. We honor you. We thank you, Lord, for your presence today. We thank you, Lord, for this gathering of people, Lord. We, we take a hold of your word. We take a hold of Psalms 91 that no evil will befall us. Hmm. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling place, Lord. Teach us the truths of that word. Why sickness and disease, it cannot come against us. Simply because of you. Because of your cross, because of your blood, because of your resurrection. Teach us to dwell in the secret place of the Most High. That we won't come out of that place, that we'll, that we'll make it our habitat, we'll make it our dwelling place, our habitation. Hmm. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you, Lord, for the ambassadors of Christ you've called each and every one of us to be. Thanking you, Lord, that here at Island Church, we are covered by your blood. We are empowered by your word, and we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.